Welcome to episode 780 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 780 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I'm really tired, actually, Bevan, so we'll push on through and get through today's show. Why are you show. tired, mate? you want a hug? Well, no, I went swimming this morning. We did 45 100s again for the second week in a row because someone else had a birthday. Also turning 45, Nigel. Uh, Happy Nigel birthday, Nigel. Beardsley, and yeah, so this week. And I'm tired now. Anyway, we'll box on through. I'm looking forward to discussing today's show. We've got a, it's a cool good show things. this today because we've got lots of good. It's, it's a hot time for triathlon right now, isn't it? Very hot. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, you know with the interaction. Oh, let's get into it later on. Uh, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by our awesome patrons uh, Richard Speedwalker Swan or Swanee Noah. Swanee, Peter, Peter the Explosion Curry. Gold, the, the Swizzle, Mike mm. Pizzell. Yes, yeah, he came to Cone Office, didn't he? Good man. Uh, in this week's show, we've got the Olympic preview. We've got news, but we're also going to be including the Olympic preview. Hot topic of the week: we're going to interview with a pro athlete who is kicking, oh, oh, she's top top age grouper, top age grouper on the verge. Probably has got an elite sort of level coming up, and she's won a couple of half distance races in the UK. Lydia Dant. Uh, what of the week? Questions and answers at the end. Okay, John, so it is a big news week. Let's start with what happened over the weekend. We had the, what was it called? It was called the Zift, Zift Tri Battle. Battle, Battle Royale. Mm. Royale with cheese, name the movie. Um, come on, you got it. It's everyone fine. with Samuel L. Jackson, yeah, is yeah, it? Yeah, you got it. Royale with cheese. Everyone's going, come on, John. Uh, pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so the concept was... Uh, we're going to set up a course in Germany that's very much in favour of trying to get a re- world record time, mm-hmm. and you're going to get the arguably the greatest athlete of all time racing it, and greatest athlete of zero of all time, arguably. <laughs> uh, and uh, at the same time, Lionel Sanders, who seems to aim to be nipping at his heels, mm-hmm. maybe not quite of the same pedigree, but to also be in the race. And you were saying earlier that there was kind of maybe it was just a Frodo thing, well, and it, they chucked him along. Well, no, I kind of. Uh, Dan Enfield wrote a, an article that I read sort of post-race and it kind of, he insinuated that I wonder if this was going to happen anyway and so, so Frodo was always going to do it and then he thought, hey, Lionel had been sort of throwing the stuff and they've been having some banter online yep. and uh, Lionel says, said, come on, I'll race you somewhere, why don't you come and do Cord Lane and then and, and, and maybe Frodo went, hey, well, I've got this in the, the pipeline, why don't you come over and do this? Um, so he got the feeling I always got the feeling that Frodo was there to do his thing. He didn't necessarily see it as a battle. Sanders, he, he's he's not an idiot. He knows he's not at the same level, no. but he's going. This is this is cool. I get to be racing on the same day that the fastest time has ever been set, and I get to go and um, go up against the uh, you know, the greatest of the era. No, the greatest of the era. <laughs> uh, did you watch it? No, because it wasn't very good timing. I was out for dinner. And then I was away for a weekend with my wife. So I, I after dinner I, on a Sunday night, where'd you go? We were away for the weekend because we oh, had okay. kids away in Akara. Uh, so I tuned in when I got back from dinner and and had a little looksy there for a bit. Um, so I I know a lot of you listeners would have watched a lot of it, if not all of it. Um, but my initial impressions were, oh, that's kind of cool. But I'm I want, I'm come online and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Like I can see, it was know, a bit like that, wasn't it? Um, and I and when I scanned through it yesterday, I could see they did do a few updates. They needed um, like a trick of the whole time, didn't they? Yeah. And so yeah. I just want to know 
what's what schedule are they on here? You know, so he's he's averaging forty five k's an hour. This is going to give him this sort of bike time. So I know we're, it's so easy gap. to moan, but that's what that's what when I tuned on, I went, "This is great coverage, great footage." But what's actually going on? They did have a lot of technical problems with Sanders' mm, the um, weather as well. I imagine. Well, no, just lost coverage of him for a while. Mm. So um, I watched. I kind of fl- I flicked or watched this the swim, mm-hmm. so I kind of just I was watching something in here, but I just go through the office a couple of times and watched it there. Um, then I watched the first part of the bike just to see if, if Sanders was making any time on Frodo, mm-hmm. and then I went to bed. And then in the morning I just kind of scanned through it. I uh, didn't watch much of it really. Probably spent yeah. fifteen minutes scanning it. Uh, as a skip, I think they did a really good job, but it's a pretty boring thing to watch. Ah, oh, there's no, nothing they can do to make, make it exciting. No. I mean, they they inserted interviews and stuff, and and yeah. so yeah, they, I think they did it in the commentary are good like they did a good job but it's just it's just time trialing it's the tour de france i don't watch the tour de france tour time trials trial. two people bore it's just boring however i love the concept i love the athletic challenge that springs and i would love to see more of it to see because this is just the purest form of triathlon it's like and it was individual and time the great trialing. thing about it was because Frodo's is bitter it was just a time trial Mm. You know, like if we'd had people who were maybe like a, you know, if you had like a, a really good swim b- right biker. Brownlee had been there or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that would have stayed with Frodo for a while. You know, who knows? A, we would have seen a faster time. But, you know, that's uh, how impressive was Frodo? Very impressive. So, let's, let's break it down. So, break it down. So the swim, uh, Jan Fredino swam 45-58, about what you'd expect. And but Lionel Sanders had a really good swim, 50-59. So yeah, it is awesome, isn't it? Because he's re- played a pack. Yeah, really solid for him. Uh, bike times. Jan, and you can't make it swim faster, can you? Well, not unless you've, if he had somebody towing him around. No, but I mean, like, it's him. like, there's no advantage in a swim, you know. It's, hmm. Yeah. So bike bikes wise, uh, Jan Fredino rode a three fifty five twenty eight versus Lionel Sanders four hours twenty six. Early in the ride, Lionel Sanders was sort of chipping away, but for the most part, it seemed to me about three quarters of the ride roughly they were riding about the same. And then Jan Fredino pulled away at the end, which he's fantastic at doing. But that's insanely fast. So the bike course for those of you that didn't watch it, it was laps um, up and down, basically a dual carriageway. They had they built a ramp at um, one end, so you'd really didn't need to get off your aero bars or if you did you know it wasn't like coming to a u-turn where yeah. you probably lose i don't know 15 maybe 15 seconds but however having said that that might have actually been quite nice because you would have had to actually get out of your seat uh so that well, was you get out of your seat if you want to you could exactly you know. uh then the run times this was quite a bit slower than than what you'd expect can you remember your prediction times Yes, I, oh, I can have. I'll pull them up in a yeah, moment. Yeah. Uh, the run times: Jan Frodeno went ran a two forty four twenty one, and Lionel Sanders ran a two fifty thirty one. Sounded like a pretty similar story on the run. Sanders was actually matching Frodeno for a while, or going, you know, uh, on pretty close to on par with him. He faded towards the end. The other big uh, piece of news on the run was that Jan Frodeno fell after the first lap. It was pissing down with rain, and uh, I didn't actually see the fall, but he fit, sounded like he fell on the carpet at the turnaround, oh, okay. and it sounded like he went down hard on his hip. So that was it. So uh, total time. They both looked, when they came across the line, they both looked spent. They were smoked. Yeah, and Frodeno took like 20 minutes to stand up. Yeah, so it was uh, 7.27.53 for Jan Frodeno, and a 7.43. 28 for Lionel Sanders. Now, Lionel Sanders, a lot of people will be giving him crap, going, oh, it was never a contest, etc. That was the, let's see. Fifth, I think it was. Fifth fastest time. Uh, no, yeah. The fifth fastest time of all times. Uh, 
Oh yeah, he's, uh, Torsten's updated us. Torsten's given it the le- legit standing. So yeah, he's put it down in fifth. But there's a couple of asterisks in front of him. So for him to go that quick is bloody impressive. And he deserves a lot of credit, not a lot of uh, haters hating on him. So it, yep. was, it was impressive. So the top five, let's go through it. So the top five of all time, Fredino has first. Now he's the first man to ever go under 7.30, mm-hmm. which is freakish. And TT. Yep. You know? Like, and admittedly when he went 7.35, it was a TT as well. Accurate TT, though. <laughs> it's really important to emphasize here because Lionel Sanders is ranked fifth here. There's asterisks. Ex- well, he's got Matt Hansen who did Texas and uh, Ivan Tutukin. 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 He did Texas as well, which I think that year was what was the well, Bible no, there was just There's asterisks there because I'm, I'm not throwing shit on those guys, but drafting and yeah. potential course. Well, in this article, he actually gives a big description of why he's kind of has not included some of the records hmm. because like shorter courses and stuff like that. So um, so the top five, we'll take away those two. So Fredino is one and two. Tim Don, remember they did Brazil in 740? Yeah, but that should have an asterisk next. All of these should have asterisks next to them. Raylud? Yeah, but that's it. Wrote and that's short. So, I mean, this is really, is the first time you can go, this is legit. There's no arguments about distance. There's no arguments about drafting. Uh, this is like the gold standard if you want to go, how fast can we really go? So this is the only way you can measure it, you think? Yeah, otherwise you're not comparing. You can say this is the fastest try distance of all time because you can't go, well, in that course. And yeah, no, okay. it was pretty so, so, it was I mean, um, so Sanders, based on even with all this kind of what John's kind of undermining all the other records, <laughs> yeah. um, Lionel Sanders is the fifth fastest time in a 7.43. Again, TT on, on an accurate course. Yeah. So he's he's legit. And very impressive. And we've got to remember, so he was how many minutes behind? Uh 15-ish minutes behind. I had a quick look at the Kona, yeah, 15, res- Kona results from the year before last when Fredino set a new course record. He won by eight minutes. And like f- if you were 15 minutes behind, you're probably about third or fourth place. Okay. So this is like a best of the rest performance, you know, mm. right up there. And probably the big thing that is highlighted for me is how slow the run is when you've had a bike ride where you've had no respite whatsoever. Yeah. And by respite, I mean, you know, uh, at Challenge Rote or elsewhere, you've got a little hill and you'll yep. be able to go a little bit harder and then you have a little bit of freewheeling. If you're doing a race like um, in a pack. Florida, you're in a pack, you're getting some time where you're chilling out. Fredino is the fastest runner in the sport and for him to only run a 2.44 when we're seeing lots of guys running sub 2.40s these days it really shows to me uh, the difference of pure TTing versus riding in a pace line. Now, how fast would Fredino normally ride? Uh, well, I think we need to... Because Starkowitz, so, so we've got the time... So we're going to look at the fastest swim to bike times of all time. So on the men's Fredino, uh, did a... I think when he did rote, I think it was a 408, I think. Uh, and then he ran quicker, so I think he ran a 235. So Starkowitz has done a 354, but it's got a, pen, uh, a, a asterisk next to it because it was uh, Texas. Sanders is second with the four hours he did over the weekend. Then you've got Starkowitz doing 401s. Lieferman did a 401 in Florida. But, yeah, I can't remember what Frodino would normally bike. So Because the other thing you're going to argue is, uh, if he's biked, what did you say he did in 408? I think it was 408 in uh, So let's say he's, he's biked 13 minutes faster. That's going to hit your run as well. Yeah. And no respite. You're a TT position the whole way unless yeah. you choose to get out of your seat. Uh, so, yeah, I think that I expected them to ride, in my predictions, I ex- expected them to ride a bit slower and run quite a bit quicker. Um, however, I will say, in my predictions, and we'll go into this in a minute, I was only three seconds off uh, predicting Lionel Sanders' time to the second. However, 
my splits were quite different to what he actually ended up doing. So, so just interestingly, uh, fastest run times of all time, he's actually not up there. So you got um, Dennis Chevrolet, uh, Ben Hoffman, they both did 236. Uh, Patrick Lang has done a 236. Uh, Luke Van Leer back in 1997 did a 236 as well. And then Bart Arnold. So um, while Frodino is the fast runner, he's actually not the fastest in the sport. Mm, I would You'd say Langer is, wouldn't you? Um, I'd say they're on. They're pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you'd g- you would give it to Langer just slightly. Yeah, especially yeah. in Kona. Yeah. Um, Overall, yeah. I'd love to see more of this sort of stuff going on. It'd be quite cool to see it. Some individual time trial races. I know it's not that exciting to watch. Um, so this was. But what if they just had a bigger field? Sorry. What if they just had a bigger field? You know, accurate course, fast course, big field. Yeah. Um, I just like seeing like, like, you know, like if you aspect of it because you see you see plenty of racing like that with bigger fields. You see it in Kona, and it ends up being it'll end up being a pace line. If they set them off at say whatever it is, three minute intervals, five minute intervals, whatever it was, and it's just time trial for everybody, there is zero drafting, there's zero pace lining. I know it wouldn't be riveting to watch, but they could. Um, you could be have you know a big leaderboard with all the differentials as you're going through the race. I just think it'd be something well, a bit Colin, different. Colin, it's Collins Cup, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but, but but then the problem is, I actually think not the problem, but the interesting thing is, like Fredino's a freak. Um, how awesome is he? Uh, he did that TT. If you're trying to go, what's the fastest time? You want a field. Yeah, but who's going to be? But if, then again, if, if, if it's, it's a race, he's going to be doing the same thing. Yeah, no but he's going to be up. like he he. You know, there'd be a couple of guys who could bike with him. Mm. You know, so he would. Let's say he was in a field over the weekend. Mm. You think he could? You think on his day he could run a two thirty six? Yeah, easy. So then that's another seven minutes off this time, mm-hmm. eight minutes. So he's a sub 220 then, mm. 720, sorry. So to me, if you are going, what is the fastest an Ironman can do? Because mm. this wasn't an Ironman race, this is a TT. Mm. You know, so that's the fastest TT now, which is faster than any race, which is phenomenal. But if we if we want to see what is the fastest, we should put it in a race like conditions and actually get a bunch of, you know, top 20 athletes in mm. the race, smashing it out. Potentially, you know, based on where we think he can run, a sub seven twenty is realistic. Mm. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. They had whilst the conditions weren't great, and they're saying it was slow conditions. It was raining quite a bit. That would have helped keep the core temperature down. Yep. So, you know, with perfect conditions, you know, again, there's a few minutes there. Uh, so. It was Friday delivers every time he races. There's only been like one occasion where he had that injury in Kona. Outside of that, he is just delivers every he, time. And he does, eh? Like, so much pressure. That's why he's the greatest of all time. He's the greatest of his generation. <laughs> um, but it, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Mm. It's absolutely phenomenal how, how great. He, okay, so let's talk Sanders now. So Sanders, I think he gets a lot of respect from this race. I think um, he's just proving he's the real deal. As you say, I think you go, he's the best of the rest, or, or at least no, he's, he's the same the, as the rest. Yeah, he's, he's in that pedigree. In an iron distance. Yeah. So then the question is, what do you see happening in the next moment for? Because he's, he's still got a qualifier. Mm-hmm. He's got Collins Cup. And I imagine what's to bring his A-game for that. He hasn't qualified for Kona. Mm. What's the next moment look like? I reckon he just goes for the 70.3 Worlds and just go for Oh, and the 70.3 Worlds. And flag Kona for this year. You think? Yeah. Oh, I don't think he will. Yeah. No, he's got no world titles. He ain't winning Kona this year because Lionel, because Jan Fredino's going to smoke everybody again. He could win 70.3 worlds, but I don't reckon he can win Kona. So go get a world title, see if he can get a world title. How cool would it be to be Fredino? Mm. To know you're that much better than everyone else. Mm. But that's the first time I've, you've seen him really smoked 
other than the first time he did Ironman Germany, his first race where he finished third, I think it was, and it was like 42 degrees or something. That's the first time where you've seen him cross the line and, and just fall over. Uh, so I was well was impressed because I, I spoke last week and I said, um, how big's the carrot? Mm. You know, and I was kind of like, mm, are they really going to chase it if it's, you know, but... He went for it. Yeah, they fought for it. It was, it was awesome stuff. Uh, okay, so then that's the exciting stuff from this week. Um, but we've also got some other quick release news before we get into the Olympics. Um, first of all, uh, they've announced the the announcement team for the Collins Cup, which is going to be happening. So they've, got the, they've gone for the big hitters, John. They have, which... Phil Lig- so for the, basically, the lineup they've got, they've got Belinda Granger. She's uh, the Australian you will have heard at uh, a she's number great. of challenge races. Barry Shepley, who does... Did the ITU races for a long time. He's good as well, He's isn't he? He's awesome. Uh, not so, apologies, I don't know who Charlie Webster is. Phil Liggett is sort of who they've got as the headline. Now I love Phil Liggett. He is he's a tour, voice of Tour de France for does many, he still do many it? years. We don't get his coverage. I'm not sure if he still does coverage, okay. but he's amazing. But he's a bit past it, and he's not going to know that much about triathlon. But he's got the coolest voice, and if he's just following a script, it'll be pretty but good. But is it also that thing of familiarity safe? Mm. You know what I mean? Like for if, if we're trying to make Collins Cup a bit of a conversation for, you know, look, you, the thing you were talking about is I don't watch tennis, but I like to keep an interest in tennis. Yeah. And so if we can get people who are into cycling to turn on TV and go, oh, it's Liggett, what's all this about? Yeah. You maybe there's some value in that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Charlie Webster, I don't know. Alex, it sounds like she is a BBC? Pre- presenter. Alex Payne, don't know, he's a presenter. Then they've got their um, sort of athlete experts as well. Vicky Holland, who's off to the Olympics. I oh, think she's going to get smoked. Uh, <laughs> and and <laughs> Greg Bennett. Uh, Bennett's great as well. He will be awesome. He's a real professional. Uh, so, they've got a great lineup. And the cool thing is, they've kind of, looks like they've kind of got those anchors. They've got the experts, and then they've got the talkers. So, so you've got Belinda Granger and Barry Shepley, yep. who will just talk if full full noise. Yep. You've got Charlie Webster and Alex Payne, will probably hold it together from a professional standpoint. Phil Liggett will bring, he's just got an awesome voice. And then you've got your athlete experts and Vicky Holland and Greg Bennett. So, really nice spread. Hey, did, oh, sorry, I forgot to. You were talking, and I was, I was kind of reading some other stuff. You predicted times for Fredino, what? I'll go into that now. So, PTO, not many people have jumped on this. This came out like literally last week, and I jumped on it straight away. They've now got a fantasy uh, yeah. game you can play with races. So, they, they launched it last week, and it kicked off with the Tri Battle. And for that event, you predicted uh, times, and you got awarded points based off that. I am rubbish at this sort of shit. <laughs> I like to think I'm pretty good. I remember when we first started really the show, you tried to do it with me, and we it lasted like two episodes. Yeah. So you can go on there, and for the, for the weekend, you you picked um, the the times for the athletes, swim, bike, run, transition slits, and I ended up. There's not that many people who have signed up on the PTO, so get on it because I think it could be really cool going forward. I am a hundred and second out of uh, one hundred and sixty-one. Okay, <laughs> didn't even make top half. However, to give myself just a little bit of credit, the run ruined you. I predicted that standards would go 743.30 and he went 743.27. Okay, so you got that right. Yeah, I predicted um, Frodo's finish time to be 734.11, so I was a little bit off that. Um, Both instances, I thought they'd run quite a bit quicker and I put down a 408 for both of their bikes, so it was miles off there. So is this something they're going to be doing weekly or is it more, Uh, oh, they've got one for the Olympics? They've got one for the Olympics. Oh, I'm going to do mine now. Yeah, so I'm not sure if the Olympics one is open yet or not. Um, Uh, Hopefully with that, 
that it's more placing based because predicting time is quite hard. Yeah. Um, so but that was the nature of that race, wasn't it? Yeah, but hopefully for the Olympics, you'll. you'll uh, I'm not saying places. coming soon for the Olympics. Mm. So, so check it out on stats.protriathletes.org. I think it's another another string to their bow that I like. Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay, so just quickly, uh, unfortunately, a couple of pieces of news before we get into the Olympics. So, first of all, unfortunately, Ironman Wales has been cancelled this weekend due to COVID. Is it this weekend? No, it's not till September. So they've gone, oh, they've uh, gone, they've okay. gone early on it. And the, the problem with that is, you know, today is, uh, what is it called? Open, opening day in the UK? Freedom Day. Freedom Day. Uh, and it does seem I've, a little bit weird watching that from the outside, but I don't yeah. live in the UK. Uh, but Wales is not dealing with things as well as uh, England and vaccination is nowhere near as high by the sound of it. So they've cancelled Ironman Wales, which is a real shame because second year in a row, uh, whilst there's lots of racing going on in England, uh, not in Wales. And the other bit of news, Wits Up, which is um, Women in Triathlon Stand Up uh, is closing down. So Steph, who ran that, did a great job at getting um, promoting sort of women in our sport and giving them, the pros especially, a, a bigger voice. But she's moving on to say why? Just uh, different pastures. Yep. So Gosh, she did good work. She did a lot of work. Yeah, I remember when she first started, and it was just a little small thing, and she'd get Hilary Biscay on, and then she really built it into a, a really great kind of community and website. Mm. And But, you know, unfortunately for a lot of these things, there's just no money in it. Mm. You know, and uh, we're what, ma- uh, for, for us, we're making out millions. Don't worry about uh, us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mate, we've begun seven hundred. What is it? Seven hundred and eighty shows. We are uh, rolling out. Mate, just call me Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> no, John so, Elon Musk. You've seen so many come and go, and it's uh, it's not a lucrative game by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and most people just do it with a lot of passion. And uh, yeah, she's just going to go off and do other things. It's one of those times to say thank you to the patrons because honestly, you guys are so so important to this show. And well done, Steph. Because while you're moving on, your legacy has been really important I'm sure you've inspired many females and other people in the sport so you're a bloody legend uh, Jombo this coming Monday and Tuesday oh the Olympics if I was a Japanese person I'd be protesting saying cancel the Olympics I said that to Belinda last night she said the, uh, said on the news it was what 55% of people want to cancel it want to cancel it was one way or the other it was like 60, 68 don't think it's safe yeah and then 65 want to cancel it and I said, if, that, if that was in New Zealand, I reckon it would be 80 to 90% of people would not want the Olympics happening yeah. if we had something similar going on here. Anyway, it's happening and uh, there's going to be some awesome racing. It's going to be, who knows what it's going to be like without the crowds, but uh, the triathlon is coming up next Monday and Tuesday or so Sunday, m- Monday if you're in Europe or the US. And, and that's both, so how does it, what's the time table? Uh, boys go on mon- uh, so our Monday and the girls go on Tuesday and then the mixed relay is Saturday. Oh, so it's the Saturday following? Yeah, so you've got a few okay. days R&R okay. to chill out and hide in, your, hide in your room and try not to catch COVID. Uh, so this co- bit of a course layout, the swim is two laps. They're not even laps. You swim 750 metres first lap, and that'll hopefully spread things out a bit. And then the second lap is 550 metres, so they do a, an exit and, and dive back in. The bike is eight laps of five kilometres. I did a really quick What is it? What was this one? Sorry? 750 and 550. Uh, 9.50 and 5.50. Okay. I don't know what I said. You said anyway, it's 9.50 yeah. and 5.50. Okay. Uh, the bike is eight laps of five kilometres, and there's around about 13 turns Jeez. per lap. So Is that a problem? Uh, well, no, it's good. It's technical. It's going to sap. But does le- it pull the packs back in? Exactly. So if you're on the back of the pack, there's going to be a lot of uh, surging going okay. on. So that's good. It means that the guys that are sitting in at the back are going to have to work quite hard. Um, so lots of single line riding in this. The roads in places they're quite wide, but in other places they're quite is quite narrow. So lots of turns. Uh, it is basically flat. There's a couple of little overpasses and things like that, but pretty much a flat course. 
And then the run is laps of two and a half K, so four laps. The good part on the run course is for the athletes, there's two U-turn positions. So you kind of do a loop, but on the each edge of the loop is a uh, is a U-turn. So you'll get a really good visual on where you're at uh, as okay. you go through the run. So that's kind of cool. Uh, no spectators, conditions, what the hell... Uh, when you look up what the weather conditions are looking like in Tokyo, it's going to be hot. They're starting very early. It's hot and humid, uh, and that will influence the outcome. So, and then that's going to hurt some athletes. Do we know which athletes um, know which athletes work well in heat? Um, we, you know, we haven't talked about that. Some are, are, are okay. Um, so we say Monday, Tuesday. Tokyo yep. prediction. Yeah. Monday, wet, thirty degrees. 30 degrees. Big, yep. strong, strong, strong wetness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesday, overcast, 29. Okay. Yep. Yep. Strong so wetness. It's, it's going to be 30. It's going to be humid. <laughs> um, and we, they had a testament there way back in August in 2019. And on that occasion, whilst the results say Flora Duffy won, Alice Beto second, Vicky Holland third. Um, for those that remember that race, you had George Taylor-Brown and Jess Lemoth actually winning the race, going across hand in hand, but got disqualified because of that. Uh, on the boys' side in the test event, uh, it ended up coming together on the bike and uh, being a, just a running race with a really large pack and really big surprise uh, results when you had Tyler Mistelchuk won it in front of Casper Stornis from Norway and Hayden Wild was in third place. A lot of the big hitters, uh, you know, weren't either weren't there or didn't necessarily perform. So whether this, this is going to be an indication of what the race uh, does, kind of hard to know. But I am more excited about this triathlon than probably any of the other ones because you really don't know what's going to happen on either the men's or the, the women's side. So the boys that are, who's in form, um, you've got Christian Blumenfeld at the start of the season was on fire. He was just like winning race weekend after weekend, but we haven't really seen much in the last um, month other than Leeds. Uh, he was okay there. Alex Yee showed in Leeds. He's the fastest runner in the sport. Um, but I think when everybody's 100%, he's probably not going to be that much quicker. But he's definitely uh, a strong medal contender. I went through the men's list and I counted about 15 to 20 guys that I can get a medal. That's pretty cool. Potentially could get a medal. Yeah. You'd not be surprised whatsoever. Wow, right. that, that's um, awesome, isn't it? That's the strength of the sport then, isn't it? And I've got no idea who's going to win. Yeah, it's not like not like the last couple of Olympics where Brownlee, you go no. Brownlee and then who, who could who could potentially beat him, but yeah. it was you, you, you're putting you know, 50% of your house on Brownlee. So it's going to be really hard doing that pick because lots of different things could happen. So how the race might unfold. Um, so you think it'll be a running race? Well, in the test event it did, and I, the thing is I think they're probably one or two short in terms of guys that can really push the swim and will commit 100% on the bike. Okay. And that's a different Trying to get a breakaway, you mean? Yeah, when you've got a Brownlee there, uh, uh, Alistair Brownlee, it, the, coming out of the swim will probably be similar to what it has in the previous Olympics, but he is just there committing, motivating everybody else. Yep. Um, whereas this time around, there are a few good ones up there, and I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But do you think it would be a, a, like a precision? Or? No, because if, if a break does happen in the, in, in the start of the bike, they have got to commit 100% and yeah. go for it. And if they don't get more than a minute, it's certainly not over. So okay. they've got to commit, get more than a minute. And how likely is that? Um, to get a minute? I, I, there's a big few, quite a few big hitters that aren't going to be in that group. And the Norwegians are real hammerheads on the bike. Yeah. Uh, and you've got the likes of Hayden Wild, he'll be pushing as well. Um, this, this, I think there's enough firepower in the second group 
that's probably going to come together. Okay. But it's a technical course. If it's raining, like you said, it's going to be a lot trickier with a big group. Yeah, there lots of crashes. Uh, so and that's luck of the draw. Mm. So in the in the second group, you're going to have the Norwegians. You're going to have Hayden Wild. You have Yellow Greens, Mola, uh, likely Yi, and they're going to want to make sure they get up to the front. Uh, so there could could potentially be a break at the start of the bike, and you're going to have guys like Vincent Louis, um, Schumann from South Africa, Matt Hauser from Australia, and maybe Johnny Brownlee. And if they get together and just lay the hammer down. Um, why not? If they if they don't, I don't think they've got any chance. Outside Matt of Hayden Wild, who's your heart want to win? Um, not not, not who do you logistically think I'd, you know? Because Wild is obviously going to be hard because he's a Kiwi boy. But yeah, um, I'd love to see Gomez get a medal, and that would be really cool. And probably I love the way the the Norwegians race. Yeah. So I quite quite like one of them to win. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and then the chance of a breakaway mid ride has happened before. But again, if it all comes together, I think there's enough people to be motivated to shut down, um, you know, breakaways mid-bike ride. Possible dark horses, there's a guy, Pearson, from the USA, who has been showing some really awesome run form. Alaza from Spain, not really a necessarily dark horse, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got a medal. And Connix, who's a French guy. And the unknown factors is Jake Burtwistle, who hasn't done anything for quite a while. Vincent Louis hasn't done much racing. Maria Mola hasn't done any racing of note. And Gomez... Um, is always sort of there or thereabouts. The well, just, you know, we talk about the, um, Alistair Brownlee not making the Olympics, but was Gomez, because the, the Spanish are so good at triathlon. They've got a really good team. Yeah, so, so was, was he qualifying? He must have locked us in a while ago, so okay. I'm not quite sure. And if you went on 2021 form, he would be, you know. Struggling? Yeah, the, oh, the whole, they've got like four or five really Yeah, that's what guys, I mean. So, um, yeah, I think, he, I think he'll do all right. Okay. Um, on the women's side of racing, uh, the ones that are in form, you've got uh, Kingma, Nib and Duffy are the probably the three standouts from this season. You've got uh, Nicola Spurig. I don't even, I'm not sure how old she is, but she's uh, you'd never want to write her off. Uh, I've picked there, there's around 10, a few less medal contenders. I sort of picked 10, maybe up to 15, who could make... Um, Make the, the podium. And then I think in the women's race, we just talked about the breakaway maybe happening in the boys. I think it's highly likely there's going to be a breakaway in the Why? females race because there, there's some really good swimmers and very good bikers that have shown they will commit and they've shown that they can make a breakaway stick. So uh, I think it's highly likely you'll get Jess Learmont, hopefully Duffy, Taylor Nib and Kingma and plus maybe Katie Zaveris if she's back in form and they will just lay the smack down and different to the the, the boys there's I don't see anybody in the second group really wanting to ride up to them if they get away so Summer Rappaport is probably the one to watch if it comes down to a running race so again I think a breakaway will happen who wins out of the breakaway I'm not quite sure but my if I'd, I'd be putting a lot of money on Flora Duffy just again Hart uh, Flora Duffy, I really, really want to see her win, yeah. just because she's. What if, what happened in the last Olympics? I can't remember what happened in the last Olympics. She get a medal? No, she's sure. Um, but she's just a, f- a favourite because she's uh, she's great on all three disciplines. She she's got no problem going and doing solo breakaways. So I really want her to win. Okay. Unknown factors at the moment. Georgia Taylor Brown haven't seen her racing this year, and Vicky Holland. She's more focused by the look of it on the Collins Cup and commentating there than racing. So. I think she's out the back door. Do you, do you, do you really think that? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Just because she's going to do commentary for like four hours of her oh, life. Oh, she's done Super League commentary as well. And the thing is, like she got her slot uh, 
in 2019. Uh, and she was technically there. She was the third finishing Brit um, because the other two got disqualified. So we've got nothing against her. You I just, just think, think she's going to get smoked. Uh, but she's a great athlete. She's won lots of medals. She's an Olympic medalist from the last Olympics. So she's not rubbish, but I just don't think she's going to get a medal. She wants to commentate, you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> she's commentating in the race. I'm in the race right now. What's yeah. happening? Yeah. Um, what's your favourite? Is, is the Olympics now your number one triathlon event as a, as a fan? Um, what's the thing you look most forward to in the sport? I'd probably rather. I don't think it's. I'd probably say Super League's more interesting to watch than the Olympics. The Olympics is, at the end of the day, it's just another race. It's not going to be. Yeah, but it, but that's not true because yeah. it's the one day where everyone. It's a bit like Kona. Everyone's and, peaking. Yeah. You know, this is the one moment everyone looks yeah. for for four years. Yeah, uh, I, I get that, but I, on the bike, I don't think it's going to be riveting watching. Like it'll be, you know, yeah. you have I'll, a run, I'll be working you, in you the go grab a coffee yeah. and come back, and nothing will have happened. Yeah. Um. So, but I, I guess it just comes down to the run. I love watching the run, and I think the potential of the men's race for it to be like ten guys running together that could be awesome, uh, and just one gets shelled every k or so. So, no, I'm really looking forward to it. But from but a, so, so it's not your favourite thing in the triathlon. Uh, I. I am excited about it. Whether I'm more excited about Kona than compared to this, we get Kona more often. That's the thing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we've got a new I'd sports be, radio. Oh, you go. If 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 this is a really hard, hilly, technical course, then I'd probably be a bit more excited. Like, so, like, like Athens, Athens, you were yeah. really excited about, were you? Yeah. So it's gonna be good times. Um, good times. So I was watching. We've got a new sports radio station in New Zealand. Yeah. Did you listen to it? I have not listened to it yet. So I know the person who put all the, the hardware together, though. No idea. Mm, Hayden. Oh, did he? Yeah. That's what happened. Um, so, anywho, they had uh, Hamish Carter on yesterday. Oh, yeah. Did an interview of him, just talking about his career, but also he's working for Triathlon New Zealand. He should be bloody focused on the Olympics, not doing bloody radio interviews. Uh, Hamish Carter? Yeah. Well, he's you? the head of the High Performance Program. How's he doing at it? Sorry? Your thoughts? Uh, I don't know enough of the inside workings to comment on that. Okay. Well, he was just saying uh, this. the real goal is 2024. It was their goal to have athletes potentially ready for 2024. Mm. Um, they need to develop some athletes leading into this period. Hayden Wild, but he's he's a real Legit deal. Chance, yeah. So um, coming up this weekend as well. We've got Lake Placid. Got our man Lake Placid, Joe Skipper. He's flying across the Tas- not across the Tasman, across the Atlantic. He only did Ironman Bolton what, the weekend before last, I think it was. Yeah, and uh, he's backing up again. So he's racing pretty regularly. He's He's been doing a lot of racing this season, so good on him. He is the top seed, and he's predicted to come in at 8.15, five minutes ahead of uh, Maurizio Mendez-Cruz, and Brent McMahon's up there as well, Cody Beals and Matt Russell. Lionel Sanders is listed on here, but I'm pretty sure he's not racing um, based off what he said. How uh, many slots have got? Race. Sorry? How many slots? There is uh, several. There's two for the boys, plus two unassigned, so there'll be at least three, you would say, on, on there. Um, so yeah, not a massively big star started field. You got uh, about forty men starting on the female side. You got a lot of. You're going to get some fairly easy qualification slots here on the female side because the top four have already qualified: Vanella Langridge, Heather Jackson, Angela Nathan, Michelle Vesterby. Then you got Jody Robertson, Lauren Bland, and Pamela Oliveira. So a few people there should be in to to get some good conus positions. Also for the age groupers, uh, 150 slots on the line so really trying to because a lot of people around the world are not going to be traveling so it's going to be very american dominated hawaii this year and plus there's 100k on the on the line for the pros so that's uh it's pretty reasonable money when you're talking about what's on offer for iron man racing these days 
Okay, this week's... Oh, no, any other small races? Uh, small races coming up this weekend. What is the date? It's the 20th of July. What do we got? We've got the Wild Siberian Extreme. <laughs> oh, they just sound uh, crazy. In Siberia. And we've got the one of the outlaw races. Might have to have a quick look at this Wild Siberian Extreme while we're here. It does sound pretty... Uh, pretty full on let's have a quick look the total length of the race is 226 k's no surprises there uh the athletes swim 2.5 kilometers in cold <laughs> 2.5 kilometers in cold water of 8 to 10 degrees centigrade oh jeez uh in the dead lake of chenick coal uh they ride 180 k's on the bike Perfectly smooth asphalt on uh, the track. They climb 1,600 metres. And then the vertical race to the Atlash repeater. The climb is 2,000 metres. The highest point is 3,038 metres. Holy crap. That <laughs> is some serious altitude. <laughs> that, yeah, you know, I've been to 2,500 metres. When you go to 3,000 metres, You'll be struggling to uh, to get the light, to get the oxygen in. That's impressive stuff. Okay, guys, this week's discussion. So last week, the Ironman came out and said we're changing the legacy program from you have to have now doing the races for twelve years, twelve races in twelve years, and you have to have competed in the last two years to get your legacy spot. Uh, or two years up until when you get your slot. Uh, so we're kind of curious to see what do you guys think is a better system. So the question was, what do you think is the best criteria for Ironman to accept athletes into the legacy program for the World Ironman Triathlon Championships? Uh, Phil Edison, Edison, Allison's got 12 races plus an 80% pass mark in a history of triathlon. I love that. Nice work, Phil. <laughs> it's almost like a, a, when you get a, a citizen. You citizen know, you, yep. Actually, I think it's a more a recommendation for those who don't qualify outright rather than through legacy. John Weir says, nope, I don't like it. If you qualify for the World Championships, you deserve it. If you want to race in Kona, do the 70.3. If you want to pretend, book a hotel room and pack your bike, banana, hammock and Crocs. Uh, James Thomas has got 12 races, lifetime seems okay. I like, I kind of like the 12 and 12 years thing as it stops people tuning through them in a few years, which doesn't feel as a legacy. I don't want to agree with, with it as a whole, Two in the past two year things, people's circumstances vary. So he's kind of saying, I don't necessarily agree with that two and two year, last two years thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Patrick uh, Walkington says minimum 10 Ironman over a 10 year period. Uh, Arnold's got money, 12 races, $12,000 after 12 oh, years. Just a cynic. Yeah. Just a cynic. Just a cynic. He's put lots of gifs in there. Gifs, 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 gifs in there. Uh, Rich Walker says, I'm fine with the current rule of 12. Um, in running, six star finishes have no time limit to get their six. So I'm not quite sure with the big marathons whether whether that's uh, something you qualify for. Anyway. Uh, Jelly Hendrickson has got, uh, why not change the legacy program to qualify for a separate full distance in Kona during the 70.3 weekend or something like that? Too many people are getting to the legacy status now to add the actual qualified people to at Kona. So what he's kind of saying is, or she, Jelly? That's he. Um, what he's saying is, uh, A, put, put 70.3, make the nine-man day as well, mm -hmm. and put... Not the same. No, it's not I, the same. I know what he's saying. Yeah. It's not the same. And then he's saying, but does, it's just hurting to qualify people. I don't think it is, is it? No, because there's only a certain number each year that they're doing. So. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Annette Lee, now she's somebody who, I, she says, I did six Ironman races in just over 15 months to reach my 12 races and then got, at the last one got on the podium, so would have gone legit. Anyway, 
It was bloody hard work <laughs> pushing through those 15 months and overall it took me nine years to get to Kona. Not sure my body, my mind nor my marriage would have been intact if I'd had to go to 12 years. If you want something bad enough, any system will entice you but I'm glad it's all out of my system now and can enjoy racing simply for the love of it. Competing in Kona was one of the best days in my life. So Annette and has, has done what I think they sh- shouldn't be allowed to be done but, but she followed the rules and she did it yeah, so yeah, I've totally. got no yeah. problem with it whatsoever. Um, so she really stacked them in there so she could go and, and realise her dream, which is which is awesome. Um, but under the current system, she wouldn't be qualifying because she did it no. over nine years. Yep. Uh, Ripley Devonport's got legacy. She would only be awarded to athletes over the age of 65 who have participated in at least 20 races with a participating parent. There you go. Over 65. That yeah. makes it tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Garth Ridley 12 races over a minimum of 10 years with run race being 12 months out from Kona it would make it more fair for people from Australia and New Zealand who have limited access to races so in New Zealand we have one Ironman yeah. and otherwise we've got to travel well I suppose for but us you every year for 12 years but then you're bored doing the same race every year for us travelling to Australia normally yeah. is not that difficult you know travelling to Australia would be no different to travelling halfway across America to do a race um, Alan Norton's got 12 seems a good number for a minimum age of 4550 but I must have never had a drafting penalty (laughs) (laughs) you'd be out then yeah Yeah. (laughs) don't know that mine ever got recorded I don't reckon anything would have happened if I just carried on riding it was a weird day Jonathan Shipman I'll do the last one stop you did run it short didn't you sorry you did kind of sneak out early. <laughs> Go stop the legacy and allocate more slots to the races. Kona is a world championship and those racing should qualify. The Olympics don't have legacy slots. Uh, Nikki Davis has got 10 Ironmans in a lifetime. I received and raced under the legacy and when I did it uh, was the last Ironman I did making it 16. I think the legacy program is fantastic. Please keep it going. And to you non-believers who think Kona is only for the best of the best, you wouldn't be the best if it wasn't for people like me making you look good. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice comment. Um, Yeah, I think we kind of touched on it last week. I, I, I... I, I kind of like your 10-year idea, 10-year, mm, 10, 10, 10, and I don't like the two-year. Mm. I think, you know what, if someone's committed to sport for this long, make you sure that the year of, you have to do one? Yep. Or make, you might say within 18 months, yep. you know, you have to, but two years, come on. You mm. know, you, you made enough money out of these people. Mm. You made 10 grand out of them probably these days from yeah, the entry at least. Yeah, because what does it cost for an Ironman? I don't know. What does it cost about to a grand or so, depending on it's where in the world you are. I'll see how much cost to enter Ironman New Zealand. Yeah, and that depends when you enter. So, uh, if you oh, get on the scaling, scaling model now, scaling model, we uh. get them early. So, no, I like ten in ten years time. I think it's uh, it's good, and yes, it's the World Championships, like Jonathan Shipman said. But when you get over there, it's yeah, it's it's nice having a wide variety of people who have come from different backgrounds the people I feel sorry for with this the, the, the system if you're going you've got to be doing it for 10 years if you don't start the sport till your sort of late 50s uh, and then you're not going to get the chance to go till your 70s so there's no perfect system but I do like that they've brought in the longer qualifying period so you can't stack them in there uh, as I said no problem with the people who have stacked them in there and that will do so in the next two years Go, go for it, um, but I like the new system better. I mean, first of all, sort out your website. <laughs> I didn't actually dislike, did you say you didn't dislike the old system? I didn't dislike the old system. I kind of thought no, if, you I like, if you want to pop, I like if you're it out. Longer, I, li- I like the I new system. I didn't dislike it, but I get that if you're going to have to sacrifice something because so many people are doing it, that had to be sacrificed. But I mean, their website's a pain in the bum. Okay, okay. So if I want to enter Ironman New Zealand right now, if I'd entered it tier one, it was basically a thousand. 
And if I, there's four tiers, but it, the highest you're going to pay is 1105 mm. So, that's and that's with, that's with that's your active fees. Do they mm. charge those after They'll the fact? shove those on you. Yeah. yeah. So, which hasn't gone up that much because I can't remember when I was doing it, but I thought oh, it was no, about 1000 It used to be like 600 bucks back in the day. I mean, no, what we were doing, yeah. it was never 600 Yeah. I remember Kona cost me 1000 mm. you know, because you had to pay it there and then. Mm. Um, so, and you get, well, you get a, a, a towel, a medal, a t-shirt. <laughs> If you get a category winner, you got a trophy. I got a winner's trophy. Uh, so there you go. You get bragging rights. That's the benefits. Right. You get a race number and kit. Is that a benefit they've listed? Yep, they've got bragging rights, rights race number and kit. Whatever. A street gear bag. Uh, clo- road clothes. A really shit t-shirt. You get the benefit of the road's been closed. Uh, timing chase chip. Um, you get medical support, aid stations, uh, post recovery, food and drink. Yeah, that's pretty good. Volunteer support, and uh, an experience you'll never forget. That's right. It's true. Sometimes you do want to forget them. Yeah, I definitely have a couple. Um, okay, this week's discussion, obviously the Olympics coming up. So we want to know your predictions for the podium for both the female and the men's race in Tokyo next week. So Tokyo 2020. Tokyo 2020. <laughs> Joe was like, they've got the print run. I was like, babe, they don't want to spend any more money. You know, so. Okay, we're going to interview John. We have uh, Lydia Dan. You're going to find out some age group excellence coming your way. Yeah, she is right now. Righty-ho, team. Uh, we had an email few, uh, through a few weeks ago from um, Lauren at Precision Fit in the UK. and she was Passion saying, Fit. Passion Fit. She said, you've got to get this uh, Lydia D- Dant on. She's uh, smoking it. And the email was sent through a couple of weeks ago, um, just after she'd won the Outlaw Half overall. And then I noticed at the weekend, uh, Lydia also was the overall winner at the Staffordshire 70.3. And I think she absolutely spanked it. So it's always good to get, um, we, you know, we get the top pros on in the world, and then we get some of the up-and-comers so welcome along to the show Lydia. Thank you guys excited to be on this actually. Um, tell us a bit about yourself you know where you're from what age group you're in and, and sort of what life was looking like before you've gone uh, headfirst into triathlon. <laughs> um, well so I'm a age group 30 to 34 now which is quite scary to 30 last month and <laughs> <laughs> which is quite a quite a turning point in in time really when you realize you've moved up an age category and you're now actually 30 when you still think you definitely should be in the 25 to 29 category um so yeah so for me well I've done a fair few different things I guess over time really um and my travel journey for me really started back in 2018 so I decided I had dabbled in road cycling when I was at Loughborough, uh, bought a road bike before I went there back in 2009 and thought I'd give cycling goes. So I'd had a little bit, I used to play team sports, a bit of hockey as well. Um, but I'd say for me, my travel journey absolutely started in 2018. I decided, right, I need to do something and get myself back on track. I'd moved around a lot after uni and never really settled back into that sport. And I knew sport provided me that sort of sense of, purpose um so I was like right I'm going to enter Ironman Wales I needed to do something a little bit drastic I felt um and triathlon for me was something that's always enticed me and I thought right let's just go all in let's just yeah, enter Ironman Wales and see where that that goes and so I decided that actually to really give it a proper shot I needed to look at getting a coach and I looked at listen to local triathlon clubs but it wasn't really what I was looking for was a community and that was the real real strong draw for me was how passion fit had that sense of culture and community and for the 
everyone that was there it was all triathlon was a lifestyle it wasn't just about uh, a one moment in time thing it was that culture that was there that really really enticed me um, there was also no sense of ego so no one really cared about how fast you were it was just that overarching focus on what your version of accomplishment looks like to you so I think for me this is where my triathlon journey really started to to begin um, with yeah making the decision to go to Ironman Wales which I still haven't done a full distance triathlon but we can come on to that and reasons why at some other point um so just to tell us about whereabouts in the uk you're from so i'm from well from oxford yeah. originally and i've moved around a fair few different places so i'm currently in cheltenham at the moment and i've kind of lived a few very yeah nice. Warwickshire. Nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. oh, best area so far like it's just wicked with the amount of like outdoor cycling the you're so close to all the trail centers for mountain biking so yeah it's definitely my favourite place of all the places I've moved around. And so in terms of Ironman Wales, you, you mentioned that, and as we will have mentioned earlier in today's show, fortunately it's cancelled for this year. Is, is mm. COVID been the reason why you haven't been able to do Ironman Wales or has there been other reasons no, why you haven't done no, it? No, so after, so this was in 2018, so I entered it and decided, so I had, I started coaching with, with Tom and decided that I hadn't given myself enough time to adequately prepare for Ironman Wales. So I started coaching in May and I think the race was in September. So I started to learn when I was being uh, yeah, coached and surrounded by the culture of passion fit that actually Ironman Wales had been an idiot reaction to almost like filling a void. And I started to realise that actually I wanted to go like fully commit to the process and this was going to be the long game. So this isn't one that I needed a one moment in time thing. This was a never-ending process if I wanted that to be the case. So I decided to defer my um spots for Wales be patient and then prepare to the best of my ability to complete it as well as I could and so I started to to do that um and then I yeah so I gave it time I was patient I decided then in well <laughs> I was going to then in 2019 do a, do a full distance but I still decided all right I'm going to stick to um doing a 70.3 quite well and keep learning and so my goal slightly shifted so quite a few people within passion and fit had already qualified for the 70.3 worlds in nice so i looked at that and thought actually that'd be a really great opportunity like in terms of goals i thought that it was within my potential to achieve a qualification spot and this would be at staffordshire 70.3 if i was able to um, i decided again i still was not ready um, in terms of both the athletic and the mindset perspective to enter a full distance. Um, so I had quite a good training block over the winter of 2019 and um, yeah, looked at what I could do to continue to become like the best athlete I possibly could and virtually myself overall. Um, unfortunately, so I came back from camp in March and started to have problems with, with my breathing. So I was finding I was getting quite an excruciating pain around my intercostal area and this happened about three times on both my left and right hand side of my body so initially I felt that I was putting myself under pressure because I was focusing too much on being defined by getting a 70.3 world slot at staffs and the outcome around that um, so when we start look at the accomplishment behavior so I assessed myself on the commitment continuum and looking back at it retrospectively I can see I was probably starting to slip into obsessive behaviour instead of remaining in that sort of compelled state. 
And to realise that now, looking back, I must have been yeah, quite emotionally driven in my training, which clouded my judgment. Um, what actually was the underlying root cause was I was having a series of pulmonary embolisms across both of my lungs. Oh, uh, yeah, um, which looking back, I have no idea how I trained through that. And again, it wasn't obviously the best decision to do that. And I was really fortunate when I got to hospital, it was quite quite bad I remember one uh, a nurse tried to move me at one point and the doctor just leapt up and was like she is not going anywhere do not <laughs> do not touch her so when I found found that out it was quite a quite a shock and initially training stopped for a, for a little bit and so this was when for me my travel journey took a bit of a different tangent as such and Tom started to coach me more around the accomplishment and performance side so the behavioral and the mindset piece um, for me to then look at, right, just because I can't train during this time search, what does being an accomplished athlete and the best version of myself actually look like? So I was working on this piece and it offered me the opportunity to look for ways that I could continue to enhance not just mine, but other people's triathlon journeys as well, without having the thought of a race or even just training um, to occupy myself. So it was a really good opportunity, not one I necessarily want to repeat in terms of the medical side, but it definitely changed my perspective on how I viewed triathlons. So I'd say within sort of timeline of my triathlon journey to date, that was really a turning point in how I viewed what my sense of being an accomplished athlete would actually look like. And so at this time, the goal of qualifying for Nice 70.3 Worlds at Staffs shifted for me. So I had to look at, right, what does accomplishment look like? So I was with like seeking medical support at the same time. So we're still trying to look for what the root cause was because at the age of, gosh, what was I then a couple of years ago? So like 28, 29, you shouldn't be having a necessarily having a conversation with your grandma about which blood thinners you're you're on and the pros and cons of those. So yeah, we were still working through that process. And I also wasn't too sure in terms of the implications. So how safe would it be to go out and ride on my bike? So there's a lot of uncertainty within that moment of time I was worried that if I went out and like hypothetically if a car crashed into me um what would the implications be of being on the blood thinner medication and looking at things like what is the best helmet that I could have and all of these other logistics you didn't necessarily know that you needed to work through until you have to work through them so I was trying to like yeah reduce the complexity and uncertainty that I was experiencing in that situation so for me I wasn't even focusing on the potential of starting at staffs it was more about getting those sorts of things in check first looking to reintroduce training and then over some time so it was I think it was only about six weeks in between being admitted to hospital and then the start of racing at staffs and I was able to so I made it to the, the start line and that race I had to redefine what my goals would be for it so this wasn't about necessarily getting the world slot. That would have been the absolute icing of the cake. It was more about what was my version of accomplishment during this race. And it, for me, it was, okay, so I haven't necessarily had the preparation that I would have anticipated. And so I put myself this real clear set of like process goals. So if I followed X, Y, and Z, I felt that a certain outcome could be achieved and that might result in, in the qualifying slot. And I was able to get to the start line and I was just so grateful to be there. Uh, there is a cracking video I did the other day of uh, we've got Steph and Lauren there 
dancing away at the start line with the music and I'm just stood next to them just absolutely stationary just like focused game face on um it is quite amusing I've heard it up the other day as well and people started commenting on it and they're like gosh that girl looks miserable doesn't she at the start line <laughs> I was having to reply back saying oh yeah that is actually that's me um <laughs> but <laughs> which is quite amusing but yeah it's a wicked video that is uh, quite yeah quite funny um with, with, so, yeah. um with regards to the the pulmonary embolism what what's the um prognosis like when you go in for that have they actually gone you know is this hereditary um and what were the doctors saying in terms of your chances of being able to compete so at that time so it's taken a couple of years to work through the process with with the medical team um there wasn't anything underlying there's no root cause that they could uh yeah work out what the diagnosis might be if there was anything that actually resulted in that happening um we have put it down to it was just one of those those things they were very uncertain about um what the process should be to be returning to training because technically once i was on the blood thinners and it was like we'd gone through that recovery phase it was then that it was kind of balls in my court they weren't advising against doing anything but they weren't advising to do anything so i just had to make the decisions based on how I felt about what I thought was sensible to do or not to do. So I started swimming first, just tech swims and then a little bit of indoor cycling um, just to work through it and just to see how I was actually feeling. So I also didn't want to cause any further long-term damage because I was quite fortunate with, it was quite extensive when I looked at the scans and the amount of uh, blood clots that were in my lungs, but I was fortunate it didn't cause any further scarring. And it was also then, so I was quite happy from that point of view of like carrying on based on how I felt. I was really, really tired because I hadn't been able to sleep for the best part of a month, really. I was having to sit upright. Mm. Um, and it had been odd because it had come and gone like over a space of like four weeks or so. And then, so yeah, we weren't really too sure because I had been, I had been seeking medical advice in between. So where there's three clear instances of the pain and then it just dissipated. Um, I had a sort of medical advice within that time frame and there wasn't really any conclusion about it and it wasn't until I got to the point where I genuinely was about to probably keel over um, that I did go to hospital but they weren't too sure either they hadn't it's not very common in people of my age with no underlying factors that could have contributed to that happening so it was based on my judgment and again they weren't too sure from the blood fitness perspective it was more of a well I I had to make the decisions myself and take the ownership of it so I worked it on a risk basis and a kind of bit of a yeah I was looking at that sort of risk matrix and likelihood and severity and worked it out I was like right well I've been cycling for the best part of 10 years how many times have I crashed if I have crashed, which is not very many at all, uh, nothing actually severe ever, really, until I started mountain biking the other day. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, that's a whole other story, but it's wicked. And so I worked on, yeah, likelihood and severity for actually, you know, the risk reward balance, what cycling gives me. And based on my history of cycling and how can I mitigate the, the level of severity of risk? And I felt confident that actually it was going to be okay. I discussed quite a lot with the medical team. Um, certain blood thinners have a, like, it's kind of like um, 
radioactive this with in terms of the half-life that they have and I made sure I was on the safest one possible I got things just like medical wristbands so people knew that I was on a pixaban and yeah just thought if I can mitigate the risk and the severity then that's all right I'll be okay with that. Um, I just want to rewind because you, you've sort of talked a little bit about obviously getting to that point where you, uh, you know you go to the 70.3 and, and looking for a qualifying spot um, was it quite a linear progression to actually get to to that point in terms of your athletic um, results at the different events or did you have was it a bit of a yo-yo up and down and did you, did you learn any fairly hard uh, sort of lessons along the way? Well I hadn't actually so done many 70.3 so staff's 70.3 where I qualified was only my second half distance so I did Weymouth in 2018 and that was my first Ironman branded 70.3 and race with a passion fit community. And that's, I think I came seventh in my age group at that point. So I was in the 25 to 29 age group then. And it was after that that I thought, I went to the awards and I saw other people in passion fit who had qualified and received um, yeah, slots for, for Worlds. And I started to think, well, I've come seventh. I've only been training from, pro- well, not even properly, sort of in some level of consistency since May and this was September so only a few months so I was like right well I've got between September through to June to then give myself a good level of time to prepare for staff 70.3 so that was staff 70.3 was only my second uh, half iron distance event so it was more just that consistency that led to that progression and also at that point I started to think well there might be more here than I thought like I started to have a bit of a spark come back in me like there's the confidence I felt from that race and I started to think right if I don't put a glass ceiling on what my I think my potential could be then let's just see where this goes and at that point I was like right well I don't know if I could qualify for 70.3 worlds it's an aspirational goal but I was like right let's just go for it if I commit to the process and let's see where it takes me within within that then that's just ace um so yeah so it was just that consistency I needed and also that community piece, which was really, really helping because I could just follow a training plan as such, but that wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for something else within that and that was having the community piece um, to learn from others as well. I think you're going to be annoying a lot of uh, a lot of listeners today when you go from nowhere in the sport to bloody winning events within a couple of years. But you do, you're doing awesome. So what, what's motivating you to, you know, to is sort of going, hey, I want to be a pro or is it just you enjoy the process and being part of a community. So what's sort of driving you to, I don't know, you know get to a position where you're really, you're winning events? So it's an, it's an odd one because I'm not really driven by outcome and I wouldn't say I'm competitive at all. Every day it's more how, what, what are the things I can do to chip away at becoming like the best version of myself, both athletically professionally and personally as well that's what drives me is more of an intrinsic motivation of that self-challenge as such um rather than I want to do x y and z like I've got goals and aspirations but that is they are all underpinned by what does that best version of me and it's also looking at how that looks as an individual as well because everyone's version of accomplishment is different so for me in the way that passion fit look at accomplishment it's 
looking at your own levels of potential is relative to your start point and what your potential is. So some people will physiologically have the ability to get on the podium and others just, just won't. And that's just genetics. You can't, you don't have much say about that, do you? But that doesn't mean that just because you're not on the podium that you're any less accomplished as an athlete that has. And that's why it's really important to understand what that looks like to you as an individual. Um, and for me, it's always been looking at, right, if I can be, how can I become the best version of myself and how do I then do that? And what are the goals that I can do that are based on ipsative assessment, which is what we use at PassionFit to support that. So it's always what the why's underpinning it as well. So what is the driver for you to do what you're kind of looking to set out to achieve? So really understanding your why. And that's why it's quite internally motivated rather than by extrinsic factors as such. So it's never about how fast you can be. It's looking to be what is the best version of you as an individual. And so when you think about ambition moving forward, it's more just a, a deeper evolution of self than the results you'll get. Yeah. Okay. Now, so it's um, just that constant evolution and how that changes over time relative to what your potential you think you, it might be. Now, that, that being said, and I know you just said you, you, you're not um, massively competitive, are you now the fastest person within, the, within your group? And are you faster than your coaches? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I was faster than Tom today when we went out running. He was a little bit broken from staffs yesterday, I think. Did you say in it, your face? <laughs> no, well, no, I'm, I'm quite nice to him about it because as he, as he constantly reminds me, I still haven't done a 356.70.3 and he also did get a faster bike split than me and swim split at staffs. So I still haven't outright been quicker than him over 70.3, but it's not going to be long, I think. I keep telling him that as well. And also, I did have a disc wheel on at staffs. So I said, I'm going to look at best bike split and see what difference that would have made. <laughs> but, so yeah. um, in terms of how you felt about the season, obviously, we've had a really disrupted last you know, 18 months or so. Um, you've had two wins. Um, have they been massive improvements in performance? Um, or have they, have they been smaller improvements? And, and what's the feeling been like at the finish line for you um, having won the event uh, as opposed to just having a really good race and maybe finishing 10th somewhere else? Mm. The past 18 months has been very interesting from, for me on a lot of levels. So I've sold my house and left my corporate job and decided to set up my own bike fitting consultancy called Phoenix Evolution. So I've changed a lot within that past 18 months in terms of my yeah, personal, professional side of things. And then athletically, not a lot has changed really. I've just continued to commit to that process. And it has, I've been fortunate with like the work and the dynamic that I've got that I am able to train like, quite conveniently, but I don't do anything different to anyone else within the passion fit community. So there's frequent sessions that are complete, but it's more about how and why you execute them. So it's that purposeful practice piece of, we only have a finite amount of time that we can actually train for. So it's how you're executing these sessions, the whys, the choices, the decisions that you make within that, and how present and focused you are as well whilst you're doing them. So it's that purposeful practice piece, getting ready to apply that then into 
a race situation. So I think for me, it's been more of that application. So I don't do anything different to anyone else in Passion Fit. We've had a great experience actually in lockdown where we started a virtual community. So on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, we have bike sessions together and they're coached by Tom or Lauren over Discord or sometimes both, which is quite entertaining uh, to say the least. We've got tunes going on them now. So we've really like embraced the, the virtual side, but we haven't got caught up on the virtual racing side. We've just continued to do what we do in terms of our process and see where that's led to. So during lockdown, the goal was still the same. So still to become a better athlete. Um, it's never been about having that imminent deadline of a race for having that motivation for for me and for others racing offers us the opportunity to learn so that's when I get to the finish line of those races it's more exciting about right what is it that I've learned from this race because racing could also be seen as an interruption so I think where the progression I've made over the past 18 months has been quite good actually more than I ever realized I would be able to progress within that time frame and it's not actually having racing so it's just been that consistency within that time frame that I think has led to that progression and so actually then having racing so I wasn't actually planning on racing triathlon this year at all I wasn't entered for anything most of my races were going to be abroad and I've just deferred them so I've actually spent a lot of my time riding my gravel bike and I started mountain biking again as well and I've done some mountain bike racing I managed to get my elite license through British Cycling for for XC racing specifically um and so it's been quite a different approach which actually seems to be working in an unconventional and slightly maybe unorthodox manner but yeah it's more about what can I learn from those races so when I crossed the finish line at both Outlaw and Staffs I was just ace because I was thinking right there's so much I've taken from this so we can now utilize this information that we've got which then informs us about how well that process is being managed so it's then would I do anything differently to the training that I do week in week out week month for month or is it that I actually just keep things as they are and keep looking just to chip away and look for that sort of consistent medi mediocrity over time rather than right I need to do something differently because yeah like I said I actually repeat quite a lot of the same sessions again and again and keep learning from those and looking to triangulate that and benchmark over time so I have no idea what my FTP test, like FTP is. I don't really, I've, I train to data to some extent, but I actually, I don't have a power meter. I don't race with a watch because I look to develop that knowledge, tuition and understanding through my training process to inform me when I get to racing and then see how well I can do against that. So you've obviously done really well in this kind of evolutionary kind of journey for you is a really good thing. But, you know, obviously you've got a career outside of the sport. Is becoming like a, a pro where it would be you're living in a goal or is it very much just kind of race and maintain what you, the lifestyle that you currently have with your career and triathlon? For me, it's quite important to have that uh, professional balance as well. And to be a self-supporting athlete and however that looks for me at the moment as I'm still working out, it's quite dynamic and fluid. So it was quite important for me to start Phoenix Evolution and really get involved in the bike fitting space, but also to see what I could do with that brand. 
so bike fitting is I, I really love it I love the getting like geeky and really understanding what makes a good bike fit or setup or optimization and I started that process like a few years ago for myself really I did a mind map of my I had a planet x back then so it was like a yeah quite a reasonably priced you could say relative to <laughs> to some bikes uh yeah basic bike and I started to look at right what are the areas I can optimize around this and put on a mind map and then rag status all of the areas so I literally broke it down component component to work out what the actual benefit would be on a like pounds per watt investment in essence so I think a lot of us get distracted by what are the what are the shiny exciting things to do to your bike which I totally get and can fully understand because I like buying accessories for my bike but for the majority of us it's actually the boring basics but you could call them the brilliant basics so it's looking at right have you got those key touch points right have you got your saddle sorted your actual choice your height um, what are you looking at in terms of equipment and all of these other aspects so like, they might not be the most thrilling is getting a disc wheel which looks awesome but if you're not in a position where you can actually maximize the benefit of it spending a grand on a really good quality pair of shoes some insoles actually getting a bike fit and those all other aspects um are probably going to give you a lot more value for your money than going for um let's go for oversized jockey wheels so it's focusing on what the key areas that are important and not getting distracted by that and that's where i felt that i also wanted to create that space to to help because it's something that i've really really enjoyed doing and people naturally started to ask me right what is it you've done to your bike and how how have you developed that and i loved it when i was going along that planet x and just overtaking people and they were on their 12 grand Cervelos and fully kitted out and I'm just there with mechanical shit in, uh, like, and just made some really sensible choices around components um, around the chain set around my gear ratios so yeah it's important for me to be able to have the athletic as well as the professional and I'm fortunate that they really complement each other but I also want to make sure I'm in a position with whatever however this athletic journey pans out that I'm self-sustaining and I'm also giving back so I love I also do the triathlon and cycling coaching as well and uh, support Lauren in that respect and I love being able to to do that because I know how much cycling and triathlon has enhanced my life and if I have a small role to play in that whether it be through the bike fitting piece or through triathlon coaching and cycling coaching then if I can help someone get a, like a percentage that I've managed to get out of it because it has changed my life in so many different ways, then being able to give back in that way is just brilliant. Awesome. Okay, we've got a few quick fire questions for you. Um, what time of the day does your first workout normally start and what time does the last one normally end? So normally it's 10 past six in the morning. We start the virtual bike sessions on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And the last one would end at about half seven in the evening. So every Tuesday we have a group run session. Nice. What's your, what's your favourite session? If there was one session you could pick out, what would it be? Oh, it's always going to be the cycling for me. Just, I love a cracking sweet spot effort session. But, or just going out on my gravel bike for five, six, seven, eight hours. <laughs> I, I just Anything bikes. <laughs> Do you have any mantras that you use in your tough times? Um, 
I wouldn't say I have any mantras as such. Just not really any mantras. I just kind of think, right, how can you make the best of this moment, really? Or what's the right thing to do? How are you going to yeah, make sure? What, for me, I guess, is looking back. I never want to look back and think, what if? That's probably my big one. It's like one a, a graduation ceremony I had at Loughborough's. The speech that they had was, you should always limit the number of should-haves you ever enunciate. And that's the one thing that's always stayed quite prominently there for me. So I went back and actually re-watched that speech and I've got it written down and saved because it was that, yeah, the should-haves or what if. So that's always been the thing. I think for me, it's like, what if? So when you're in a moment, it's looking at that decision you make. What if I made this decision? What if I made that decision? So probably what if. Okay. Uh, this is a bit of a random one. Um, how do you have your coffee, if you have coffee, and your alcohol of choice? <laughs> coffee, I absolutely love coffee. So I like flat white, oat milk, or coconut milk. I actually got a coffee machine, proper coffee machine for my birthday. And I still haven't opened it because we've been preparing for staffs and outlaw. I know that I need to spend some time to properly invest in it and look at it properly because it's got so many, it's got like a temperature gauge on the milk frother. So it's properly snazzy. So I'd say I'm like a bit of a coffee snob as such, but I wouldn't say I'm a coffee connoisseur. I'm like a wannabe coffee connoisseur and I can't do latte art. So I do need to work on that. So a flat white for me every single time. I do try and get as well I say get as many coffees in I try and get only a couple of coffees in before before like nine o'clock in the morning to make sure I'm not gonna be up too late and, alcohol and, oh sorry mm, go on no no alcohol <sighs> I really um useless of alcohol I'm known as a bit of a one pint wonder actually I probably just need to sniff alcohol and I'll be on the floor I don't tend to drink but if I do I really like a rum and coke Good old rum and coke. Just lastly, have you ever been wind tested on a bike? Wind, wind tunnel tested. Wind tunnel, yeah. No, but um, we're actually looking to do that hopefully soon with uh, one of the performance mechanics we started to work with. It's called the Grease Monkey. So this, I'm really, I'm really excited about this because it'll be interesting to see based on the process that I apply to bike fitting. So looking to we call it like the Phoenix phoenix radar so across four points you're looking to look at that comfort and sustainability piece aerodynamics power and efficiency as well as equipment operate equipment and optimization so that's how i take a real individualized approach to bike fitting that's the process that i've looked at myself so it'll be interesting to see based on what i would say is quite a common sense approach how that is then cross-referenced within the wind tunnel mm. um and most recently so this is the thing looking at making sure everyone's individualized because theoretically no one is built the same therefore no one's bike setup should be the same and therefore it should be very very different so yeah it's going to be interesting to see how close i've got to optimizing that in terms of that cda and just overall the equipment choices i've made and whether that is actually the most sort of aerodynamic or yeah position and the actual results from that so Hopefully, in the next few months, I should have some more information around that. Be exciting. I'm quite keen to get a bit geeky with it. Awesome, guys. So, so if you want to check out Laura, uh, Lydia, go to phoenix-evolution.co.uk. Um, anything else going on, Lydia, or anything you want to get out there? 
So, I mean, I'm hopefully going to be going back to some mountain biking and gravel bike riding now. And yeah, for me, it's just keep chipping away. Let's go and see what, like being part of the Passion Fit community. So keep doing what I do within, within that. And just thank you to them for always allowing me to be the best version of myself and not feel like I need to try and be, be something I'm not. I'm quite excited. We're going to be doing some more work with Bruce Monkey around the bike and optimization piece. So yeah, over the next, gosh knows, six plus months, it's going to be quite exciting for the Passion Fit community to see how we can continue to hopefully help and reach others and like see what we can do in terms of triathlon and sport in general and being part of a culture that's quite unique. Like it's not just following training plans or co- like coaching as such. It is a totally unique culture which uses triathlon to facilitate and hopefully enhance people's lives through it. It's going to be quite exciting to see where we, where we go with that over time. Awesome. Love your work and love your results over the last little period and glad you can get back to some racing and um, all the best with the rest of the year and whatever comes uh, comes around next year. So thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you guys both. It's been an absolute privilege to be, be on your podcast. So yeah, thank you very much for getting me on. Jumbo, your thoughts? Yes, thank you very much to Lauren Ward from Passion Fit for sending it through. Um, certainly sounds like a very analytical lady who's going places. Doing and, really well. And, good yeah, good just, mindset as well. Just, it's interesting, but, you know, because you know, one of the things that's kind of, you know, it seems that Passion Fit and, and Lydia are very much into that kind of process-driven thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's a big thing nowadays. But I, I had an interview on that new sports. Obviously, they sold me straight away with that new sports station. They had all the big hitters on day one, basically. Because yeah, they, they had uh, Nolene... What's, what's, about Barnett, yeah. Yep. So she is the netball coach of New Zealand. Now, most people aren't going to know who she is. But she, New Zealand was atrocious. Traditionally, it's us in Australia, the best two teams in the world. And then there was a period about three three years ago, four years ago, where we went downhill fast. And it was basically, we were losing to like Malawi or? Malawi. Malawi. Yeah. Um, which is basically not even really a netball nation. Um, the Poms won the World Cup and we were like, didn't even get into quarterfinals. We just, and then we did, we just went downhill. It's and a bit like what the American basketball team's like at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, really is, isn't it? It'll be interesting how they go in the Olympics. So not a good period. She comes on and coach within a year wins the World Cup. Mm. And since then, we've been the best team. And she's just one of those super coaches that's been able to achieve a lot of things. And the, the interviewer asked her a really good question. They, they kind of asked her this question of, what would have the player version of you thought of the coach version of you? Mm. And one thing she said was, she talked about all the process stuff, but the first thing she said is, that, is our job is to win. Mm. You know, and, and I heard another coach talk about this, and he kind of talked about how, you know, a lot of people, you know, we've gone into this process, you know, focus on, it. but as a, as, a, as a sporting fixture or as a sporting team, our job is to win. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm not undermining what Lydia's saying because I, you know, let's look at her performances, but it, it, there is a balance of the outcome is still important. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that and it, you know, for, I get it, that for you and I, who it's an evolution of self, but if you're a pro athlete, it's, but that's the thing, it's like bike fitting, like, Every, everybody is different mm. and so if you know for some people it is i'm gonna i've got to win i've got to win but and no but for, for, for a sporting organization yeah but like hamish carter is a perfect example first olympics he's focusing on winning craps his pants performs miserably second time around more process driven going out there and just going i'm just gonna do the best i can and he wins 
So I think, yes, it is ultimately about winning, but everybody's different and everybody's going to respond differently. Nutrition's the same. Everybody responds a bit differently. So, yeah, at at the end of the day, you judge by where you finish. How you get there is going to be quite different for different people. Yeah. Winning. Winning, winning chicken dinner. I get number Forty-one. Forty-one. Michael Jordan's number, wasn't it? Forty-one when he was playing for, when he came back to come back? Aaron Hoyle. He did 16 hours and 55 minutes of training from 13 activities. Whacked out 30 minutes of swimming. uh, Eight hours, 30 minutes on the bike and seven hours, 54. 30 minutes of swimming? Yeah, he might be somewhere where there's still no swimming. Uh, And he did seven hours, 54 running. Oh, I thought he said 30 hours of swimming. 30 minutes. (laughs) Uh, He's from Scotland. And he's got his picture up there. He's a runner. Uh, he's, he's got a runner. He's got a nice full face of uh, hair on him, on him there. Uh, number 61, he's racing in the last four weeks. He's done 36 activities. He's got a bit of a private profile, so can't really give you too much on Aaron. But he's from Scotland, and uh, and hopefully, I don't know if Scotland's got their freedom this week as well. Uh, the last four weeks, if I do a look side at building. side comparison. Because yeah, it looked like December last year, he was pumping it. January is a bit of rest month. February, you know, party too much. And then from that moment forward, he's been building up. And this week, he's halfway through the month now, so it's hard to know where. But from March through to June, he's been building each month a little bit more on top of the last month. Mm-hmm. So. And he's got a half marathon predicted time, 118, and a 10K of 33.23. So that's pretty uh, pretty sharp, if that's accurate. And a 10, 3,000 metres of a 10.01. Yeah, well, it was there actually PR is 33.23 for the 10K. So, Aaron Hoyle, you are our winner of the week. week. Okay, let's do your swim set. Swim set, oh, that's quick. I said it earlier, 45 100s, 30 of them on 140 and 15 on 135, and that was job done. So you do the last 15 at the faster? Yes. Ooh. It actually helps a lot to, because the first 30, you just kind of drag and change. We, we swap every 10. There was just three of us this morning, me and John Murray and Nicole Wilson, and just a 10, 10, 10. You just go, it's getting a little boring. And then the last five, you drop down in time. You've got to focus a bit more and you do five, five each. When you're doing a set like that, when's the hardest moment? Um, Once you pass, uh, just just before halfway, when you've sort of done 16 to 20 and you're just going, right, oh. When's this end? Yeah, and then once you pass halfway, then, you know, once I get to... 20, I'm thinking, I've just got to get to 30, and then we've, we've just got those three blocks of five. So just getting to halfway, I find yeah. it's the hardest point. It's funny, the mental game of it all, isn't it? Mm. You know, how you work through these sessions. So that was good good times. Okay, John, let's say thank you to the patrons. Mandy, T-Mac Towler. We've got Neil, the Ninja Stafford. And Adam, the Racing Vampire Leech. Okay, if you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me and go to the front page. Go down, you'll just find out. You'll say support us. Um, also, if you want to get show emailed to you, just go to the bottom of the front page for coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. For my podcast, bevanjamesisles.com. Other content, age group of the week, call websites, other feedback, you go to imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. I don't know my tired. I'm quite sore. Had the crew doing a bit of a circuit last night before running and did a few exercises they haven't done for a while. Well, like, like a burpee. Uh, a bit of press-up burpee action. Yeah. Um, bit of I skipping. Um, did you have skipping ropes or just on the spot? Skipping, skipping ropes. And sort of some jumping lunges and things like yep. that, and so a bit of plyometrics. I'm in big there. on that. Yep. I love it. I think it's you know runners don't do enough of that stuff. Calf raises to maximum height. We do that pretty much every week now. Yep. I'm hopeless at them, but getting your calf strength high, uh, good is very very important. Yep. It's a bit sore from that, but tired from a swim. So really feeling a bit sorry for myself, but it's all good. The sun's shining. 
So the sun's shining, and then I've got to get on my train this afternoon. I would have gone on the road normally. Why, but, why, why, uh, why not got, on the road? Uh, we're going to do a bit of Everesting today. I'm not Everesting, but oh. um, I'm going to join somebody for a rep, and I'll talk about that next week. Uh, but he's going to be trying to race Everesting. So Everesting on Zwift. So race, race, what, what do you mean race? Look, just go as hard it? as you possibly can. Okay. Uh, so, so not survive, go hard. Everesting on Zwift, you've got to do eight and a half times Alp to Zwift, which is the same sort of altitude as Alp to Ez. So it, you basically bike up, and when you get to the top, then you can freewheel down, and most people get off their bikes, have something to eat. Some people jump in the shower a little bit and cool down. And how long does that give you? 10 minutes or so okay. um, to get down, and then you've got to turn around and boom, do it again. And so just completing it is bloody hard because most people, you, you know, you're going to be looking anywhere between an hour to an hour, probably an hour 20. Per lap. Um, per, that's just per climb, and then 10 minutes to get down. Um, and he's going to try to do them all under an hour, which is going to be quite the challenge. Now, how many, how many laps do we have to do? Eight and a half. So it's going to take about so, 10 hours. Yeah, that's the aim is to do sub 10. Okay. Which is going to be tough. And so you're going to join in for I'm a lap join, eight? Uh, join in uh, sort of about number five or so, so late this afternoon. Yep. Cool. We'll report on that next week and uh, and I can give some insight on what it's You went like. away for the weekend? Did it wa- Yep. What's the away. biggest story from the weekend? I ate far too much food. Oh, really? Yeah, we went out at a really nice restaurant, Ma Maison in Akara, uh, and it was a great feed. Um, went pretty hard out and I thought, uh, we desserts. Linda said, I don't know if I can have a whole dessert. And I said, I'm getting a whole dessert. So she said, I'll get it. You can have mine. And I forgot about that. And dessert came out and I finished mine. I went, man, I can't eat anything else. And then she pushed hers across mine. Oh, no. Got to yes, have I it. Got to have it. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was good. And the kids were over there for two nights. So that was even better because we didn't have the kids for two nights. Love the kids. Oh, they went over and stayed. Stayed with some friends over there. So... Good times. Love the kids, but love not having the kids. Mm. And what again, up? when I was over there, the other one other thing is when checked out this new race course in Wainui. So for Kiwis, if you want a tough Olympic distance race in January that's going to test you, come down to Christchurch. It is going to be a selection race, and it's going to be also going to be a selection race for the lot the um, ITU or World Triathlon Championships next year, which are in our Australia. Oh. So if you do the duathlon, you can go over and do that. And likewise for my Oxman event in December, it's also a qualifier. That, that's got sprint. Uh, that, I mean the Olympic. That'll be Olympic. And then the Oxman's half Ironman qualifier to go to the World Champs in Australia, which is next year, which for us is likely going to happen. The 70.3 World Champs? Uh, long distance World Champs. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay yep. So come on down to Christchurch. What do you have to do to become a qualifier? Uh, it's nowhere near as hard as, say, for 70.3. Um, well, 70.3, you got to be 70. Probably brand. be five slots or so at Oxman in each five-year age group, yep. and you've just got to be within 20% of the, the winner. winner. But, I mean, for you as an organiser to get the qualified slots. Oh, you just got to negotiate with Triathlon New Zealand. Okay. Mm. And they have so many spots, and they just spread them in races. There's two races. You have a national champs and a secondary qualifier, and the Oxman's a secondary qualifier. Does it cost you money? Yes. Okay. Um, other What's question. happening for you, Bevan? No, I've got one more question for you. Yep. What's the one thing, like, let's say you go around to a friend's house and you go, you know, tonight I'm not eating too much mm-hmm. because, you know, you obviously never really think that's that. That's really a hypothetical question. <laughs> it doesn't happen. What's the one thing if someone were to put it in front of you that goes out the back door? Uh, creme brulee, probably. Oh, yeah, a good creme brulee. Mine's chips and dip. Mm, you do like a bit of You know yep. Mine before Jeff and Kate Whenever she knows I love chips and dips mm. So she always has two bowls mm-hmm. One's basically for yep. me Yeah <laughs> And I'll go and get, You know Maybe I haven't done Any training that day mm-hmm. Okay so I won't eat so much mm-hmm. And uh, chips and dips come out mm. oh, There's a lot of fighting Happening in my head 
What, uh, so Olympics are starting next week. What is the one sport that you are looking forward to watching? You know, I just love it all. Mm. Um, I am looking forward to the triathlon. Uh, any sport in New Zealand can win, really. You know, any you know, I, I like watching New Zealanders win at the Olympics. So, mm. uh, any sport that New Zealand, and then there's always that random sport which you don't know you're gonna love, but then you kind of end up loving. So I'll be consumed. Mm. It starts well, Friday. Friday's the opening ceremony. Is it, it starts tomorrow, New Zealand time, uh, for the football. Oh yeah, so I won't, watch, I won't watch. I watch that. No, no. I'm looking forward to the water polo because my daughter started playing water polo this term, just playing once a week, not practicing yeah, or anything. Yep. And oh, I used to beast. play water polo at a, not a uh, just at a sort of provincial level. Yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see that because that is brutal. I've never really watched much of it before, but those guys are just beasts. It's a very full-on sport. If you haven't watched it before, check out some water polo action. Well, John, I have got some big news. Yes. A big moment in my life this week. Right. I remember one years ago I did my first cycle race and yep. I got third in C grade mm-hmm. and they gave me money. Mm-hmm. And that was a big moment in my life because yep. that was when I was a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Well, this week, John, mm-hmm. my band paid live Yeah. and I got paid. Wowzers. So now I'm a professional musician. Really good. And I got paid like, what's that, 200 divided by three? <laughs> about 60 something each. Yeah. Yeah. So I got about $67 for my, yeah. for my minimum, efforts. Below the minimum wage. Cashy. Yeah. Cashy as yeah. well. So, so, no, it wasn't below the limit wage. Yeah. We only paid 40 minutes. Right. 45. I'm, I'm printing cash, John. Tell you, the band's going to the next level. Oh. Now, I'll be honest. I don't know why they paid us. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't in the contract. Well, it was bizarre because we, we played, so we've played six gigs now. Mm-hmm. And each time we're getting better, we film. And, and this, my, it was by far my best performance. Because mm-hmm. I'm A, I'm trying to have a stage presence. Mm-hmm. And B, I want to... You know, but just I make mistakes on stage because I'm nervous. So, um, the first couple of songs I still made a couple of mistakes, but once I got through his first couple of songs, I played. I was really happy with my playing, but also my performance was as a visual spectacle was way better as well. I was way more expressive. But they got us to play on a Sunday night, and so oh, so they asked us to play. So our first real real gig. So most of our gigs up to this point in time has just been open mics. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was us and three other bands and we played there about well about six weeks ago but we bought the biggest crowd mm-hmm. so because what they do is when you get the tickets they say who you're supporting mm-hmm. and, and we I think no band, all the other bands bought two people and we bought like 35 people mm-hmm. and it was all Dave's mates because I haven't started telling people to come yet I was going to say if you get your little network out there yeah, well, go to bloody Les Mills and say yeah. alright eh? when I when I bring people I'll be bringing people but yeah. I don't want to bring people until we've got our album released because I want to say Listen to it. So when you come along, you'll know our songs. Mm-hmm. So that's probably still another six weeks, two months away. So I want to, and, and also I don't think we're sharp enough yet as a band live. Mm-hmm. I still think we need to get up on the stage a bit more. So, um, but once I go, we'll be bringing a crowd. So I think what they thought was these guys can bring a crowd. Mm-hmm. So we'll pay them. Mm-hmm. But it was a Sunday night. So yeah. they got us to play on a Sunday night. So we played like five o'clock on a Sunday night. Yeah. And for us, it was just like another, it was a good chance to practice. And they paid us afterwards. And, and, I, and we bought, I think we bought, 15, 20 people. So, yeah. or Dave bought 15, yeah. 20 people. Uh, and so they probably didn't lose money on us, but I kind of th- might say to the boys, actually, let's give that money back. Yeah. Because I, because I, because I, you know, there's just pub owners trying to support local acts. Yeah. And I, I, you know, if we can bring 50 to 100 people and they want to yeah. pay us, all good. But, you know, I, I don't want to take the piss. So, um, so, but hey, it is a significant moment in my mm. life because I am now a paid musician, professional. Fantastic. I, the best thing about it, although if it's a cashy, I need to declare Don't it. Mention as a cashier then. <laughs> I need to declare it. You know yeah. why? Because you only make sixty bucks, but then you do your tax write-offs. Yeah. So it's a loss-leading business at this there stage. 
So there we go. One other thing that happened at the weekend. So I love my fantasy leagues. Tour de France finished. Oh, yeah? Were you happy? Um, Well, yes and no. (coughs) My son bloody won our little league, which was highly impressive. Uh, What did he get? He beat Matt Charlton. Um, He gets the... Privilege of saying I finished oh, on top you of the league. You should put like 10 bucks in each or something. I, I'd, I'd give him, did give him 20 bucks yesterday. They'd nice. go and muck around with things. However, where does he spend 20 bucks? My monumental cock up. So it's going into the final stage and you can swap your team members around. You've okay. got a certain amount of So credit. you made a cock up? Yeah, kind of. Well, no, a big, big cock up. So I'm looking at my team and I'm going, <laughs> this guy, Welt Van Art, he won the time trial the day before. Okay. And he's a good sprinter, but he's not the best. Okay. And I'm looking, and he, but he's got a really high points value. Okay. So I thought, I'm going to swap him out because he won yesterday. He's got to be smoked. And I'll put in two of the other best sprinters. Yep. Did that, switched it around, thinking, I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know what's going to hit them. Got my bonus points on Mark Cavendish to, to become the, the most winning Tour de France rider in history. He bombs out. We didn't bomb out. He, he got still trapped, got didn't he? Third or something like that. And the guy removed wins the race. Oh, no. However, I still did move up a ranking, finished fourth overall. Out of how many? And our thing, 12. And Tom won it, which was highly impressive. But he's rubbing in your face. Mm. And then on Saturday, we ended a park run, and I ended up doing it at a hard intensity, but nothing crazy. Like I'm trying to get down to 17 minutes or under 17. And what'd you do? It keeps moving my target. (laughs) Um, But I was was sort of thought, I've been a bit sick, and I'll. Here we go. Just, I'll do the first K, see how it's going, and then I'll probably just button down to sort of 10K pace rather than 5K pace and end up doing just over 18 minutes, which was like, uh, it felt harder than it should have, but yep. that's not full noise. <laughs> Tom was like 30 seconds behind me. Oh, Jesus. Because, oh, I'm just about got you, old man. <laughs> so, mm, righto. <laughs> I have to put you in your place next time, young fella. So where does he spend 20 bucks? Thomas gets 20 bucks, so where does he spend it on? Uh, they went and played mini golf and then lollies and shit like that, I think. Where, where does he work? When does he get no. a job? No, uh, he does little bits and pieces, but no. It's not as easy for kids to get jobs these I days. I always worked. Mm. I had paper runs, I had milk runs. Mm. I, I worked from basically yeah. seven. I think most of them are the same, but it's just not so much done these days. Um, what, was you, what did you spend your first ever paycheck on? <sighs> Can you remember your first paycheck and what you spent it on? And not no. even like kid paycheck, like adult paycheck. No, probably just spaces and logs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember because I left school so young, my first paycheck, driving home and got cash. Okay. It wasn't cashy, but it was just that's what you got back in the day. I think I, I was earning six bucks an hour. Mm. Woo, big spender. Mm. And I got some coke and biggins. There you go. <laughs> you go. Sounds similar. Uh, okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. No, I mean don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.